Hello and welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. With over 15,000 downloads since launch, we are excited to bring you season four featuring in-depth content on business, global affairs and news across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. We've had some extraordinary guests on our channel, including W Series driver Abby Eaton. And we've got thoughts of the future now. Um, you know, I'd love to to try and kind of mentor some of the younger drivers. You know, renowned UK international education champion Professor Sir Steve Smith. Over about a four-year period, we kept increasing the resources going into mental health provision. Chief Executive and Director of the London Design Museum. Tim Marlowe. The way we design is actually thinking about the needs of, of everyone. And CEO of the industry cluster group at JTC, Alvin Tan. If you look at GDD, we are creating an ecosystem of companies, government agencies and industry association in the digital space. Thank you, as always, for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel and this series which is in conversation with me David Kelly and the Executive Director here at the Chamber and this is the series where I sit down with some really brilliantly inspiring and interesting people to find out a bit more about them, their organisation and what they do and over the last few years we've seen uh, many UK activities between both the UK and Singapore and more regionally from the free trade agreement to the digital economy agreements to the recently announced green economy framework, there's a lot of UK-Singapore activity that really embeds that deep and broad relationship between our two countries. But more wider than that, the UK became an ASEAN dialogue partner in 2021, a partnership which was the first that I think ASEAN nations had agreed to in 25 years to accept another country into that. And that is set to build closer cooperation between the UK and the region on a range of issues such as trade and investment and climate change and the environment and science and technology and education, which is really exciting. And, and more recently, the UK reached an agreement in principle to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the CPTPP, a landmark move reaffirming the UK's commitment to the Indo-Pacific region. So who better to have as my guest today um, than the UK's Minister of State for the Indo-Pacific, the Right Honourable Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Anne-Marie, it really is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for carving a little bit of time in your, in your journey to, uh, to Singapore. Uh, thank you so much, David. It's lovely to be back. Uh, and uh, last time I was here, I think I was in Singapore for about eight hours. Uh, quite a lot of which was spent with you the Chamber and some of our great businesses uh, based here and hearing from them uh, what the opportunities are for Singapore. Uh, I'm back for a whole four days this time, which is very exciting, feels almost like a holiday. Uh, chance to be at the Shangri-La Dialogue uh, with my uh, new, as you say, Indo-Pacific FCDO hat on, uh, because our commitment to the Indo-Pacific isn't only a tilt, as we've been calling it over the last few years, but is very much now a key pillar uh, around defence security with our Euro-Atlantic near neighbourhood issues, of course. Uh, and our leading role in sustaining uh, defence there. But really importantly, the Indo-Pacific is absolutely critical to UK interests. Uh, now and over the next 50 years, we're going to see this be the engine of growth for the world. We want uh, to make sure that UK businesses uh, can be at the heart of those growth opportunities uh, and that we are therefore an important, uh, trusted and active partner in the region overall. It's a big region, isn't it? I mean, where, where, where are you seeing some of those opportunities for British business in the UK more broadly? So you're right, it is a big region. When I look at my map, which I've got in my office, it goes from the edge of Africa all the way to the edge of America. So it's a vast, 
beautifully. There's a lot of water in that as well. And that's a really important part of uh, the work that uh, we want to bring uh, to the party uh, through ASEAN, uh, through the ASEAN countries, but also more widely uh, as part of not only that maritime security, but to the point you made around challenges around climate, uh, the impacts that uh, climate change is having uh, on the oceans and indeed on some of the challenges that the smaller countries, particularly uh, in the region, are being affected by. So uh, really, really important to look at the region as a whole, but also to build relationships uh, in different ways uh, with many, many of, of the countries across the region. And the CPTPP, well, Comprehensive and Aggressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, and I've had lots of practice of saying that, I can assure you. And that, that, that is a really brilliant enabler for, for the UK, isn't it? How, how, how does that fit into your sort of Indo-Pacific strategy and how, how more can we help businesses to sort of take advantage of that? So it's really exciting and I'm, I was so pleased. In fact, I was in Japan when it was announced, so uh, I was able to champion it from uh, that side of the world. Lovely to see it come to fruition. So important uh, with the UK and an £11 trillion proposition in terms of marketplace. Uh, again, in these countries where the, uh, some of the greatest growth is going to come in the years and decades ahead. An incredible young workforce, uh, you know, more and more highly educated opportunities for the UK to be part of that group. Um, but also really important, uh, I think, to think about how, uh, how we engage uh, in that trade piece, but also we can then bring uh, some of uh, the UK businesses really world leading uh, not only not only goods, of course, an opportunity as we've stripped away uh, tariffs to be able to uh, sell our fantastic products uh, more widely into these markets, but also what the UK is brilliant at, which is our service industries, uh, which are, you know, many and, you know, something like 70% of the UK's uh, GDP, to bring those uh, into the region and to be able to help grow uh, those that expertise and those market opportunities right across the region too. I think some really exciting opportunities for businesses. One of the challenges I think uh, we all have is to ensure that British businesses have the opportunity and the tools to be able to reach out into these new markets for a long time. That EU focus has been a big enough market for many businesses, and that's understandable. What we've done uh, in coming out of the EU and opening up our, our global networks and building these new trade deals, Australia and New Zealand FTAs came into force this week, for instance, uh, is making it much, much easier to trade and see opportunities in these growing markets. So I think the Chamber's got a really important role and the incredible network that uh, you bring across the region, globally, of course, but across the region here, uh, to draw and encourage businesses to see the opportunities uh, in the region. Singapore, obviously a very like-minded country, easy to see the opportunities, easy to see the really in some of other countries where we perhaps had uh, less business-to-business -business relationship in the past. Uh, the Chambers are going to be critically important to helping build that understanding, uh, you know, the local distributor question, the local legal service question, the issues that a business needs to know. Great SME, you know, in the northeast of England, in my constituency. Fantastic. But how do they how do they think, oh, Indonesia has a whole new market for us? Uh, that's where the Chamber is going to be a really important partner. And I really like that because when the CPTPP announcement was made and we'd galvanised the other British chambers in those markets to have a statement to amplify the importance of this for the UK economy, because it's, it's a really big, important step. What is it that I and the team here can do better to help businesses from maybe your constituency or, or wider across the UK to 
to present those opportunities. And what, what, what can I do better at to help with that process? Love it when someone offers free help. You're a very brave man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's partly it's about uh, filtering through the, the marketer here, understanding what they look like. And, you know, if you sit back in, uh, you know, in Annex in the central market, there's just some fantastic, uh, interesting, some fantastic, you know, businesses that make produce, uh, also some amazing uh, service industries, some high tech, some cyber businesses lurking quietly in these little small towns. But what they're designing, what they've created is world class. Uh, they just are still, as an SME, learning to see how they can uh, build their market share. So where the chambers can bring incredible value is, is that helping and reassuring hand. Uh, and it's a matching service to a point of course, isn't it? But as we do more of it, it becomes easier. Uh, like anything, we're going to have those who are going to step into the You know, the big boys, the multinationals, they can do this. Uh, and uh, they're really important. Perhaps they need to uh, find a way to access mentors, I think, for some of the SMEs with really exciting opportunities uh, in the region, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. I think there's an opportunity to link up, you know, the big guys and the small guys to, to help maximise that UK uh, interest opportunity. And we're, we're very happy to present those opportunities when we see them back to your colleagues at the High Commission here as well. Um, now, the last time I saw you was last year um, on a very, very quick visit. Um, we were all masked up, um, but it was a really important time of the year where we were signing or you were signing um, the uh, Digital Economy Agreement with the Minister in Charge of Trade Relations, Minister Esther I'm here. Um, how's that gone? Because um, it was it's a world leading agreement, isn't it? It's really it's, it's got, got a lot of detail in there and we're, we're, we're hugely passionate about it. And what's happened since your last visit? Oh, well, thank you for championing it. It's something I'm really proud of. It was the first digital economy agreement for the UK and it is, I think, really uh, world leading. Again, as I say, UK Singapore, very like minded, yeah. similar uh, ways of, of doing business. So it was a great uh, country to do our first DEA with. Uh, and it did, has, I think, has been looked on by others with that. Oh, that's interesting. How, how can we have one? And that's a good thing. But I think it's really interesting to see business uh, already benefiting from it um, here very much. Uh, you know, the practicalities around the provisions uh, on movement of data, um, data non-localization and source code protection, really, really important anchor points for businesses to know that they can bring their uh, businesses here alongside those what are in many ways simple things stripping away cost uh, by the use of electronic payment systems those practical tools that make it easier for businesses that sit in different parts of our physical planet to do business effectively and use technology uh, to see that maximal uh, benefit so really exciting to see it up and running um, the high commission hosted uh, 24 British tech companies uh, at the end of last year, yeah. UK Tech and Singapore. Uh, and I think we'll want to see continuing uh, development of those opportunities, those trade missions to really understand how uh, we can maximise that use. And I know that uh, your members are doing work on supply chain logistics and data sharing, really, really important. It's that gritty practical stuff. That was the point of the DEA. It's yeah. how do we unlock uh, and demonstrate what two like-minded countries who have a similar perspective on the digital economy and want to maximise its value, particularly for our SMEs to see uh, that to get up and running. So signing it was just, I would say, uh, it was opening the door 
and now it's encouraging and we're seeing already many businesses walk through that door and take advantage of it. It's really exciting. And just for our listeners to sort of really understand that um, in, 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 some, in some local detail, we had three chamber members here that have signed a tripartite agreement to go and actually drive the digital economy agreement. So Logchain, TMX and Hurricane. Um, so they, they really took that seriously. That's now linking into our transport, logistics and supply chain committee that are looking at what is that practical movement of goods digitally and how does that work and how do we get some of the larger manufacturers on board to help us through that process to spot those gaps, et cetera, and really drive it. So uh, yeah. really, really good. Really that would make me happy. You see, it was worth doing. <laughs> Excellent. So can I give you a crystal ball? I mean, what does what is the okay, future sure. of your role look like as the as the Minister of State for the Indo-Pacific? Uh, What's on your agenda? Lots and lots of activity. So I think there are so many uh, parts to uh, the UK's developing relationship with the Pacific, which are really exciting, some of which, as we've discussed already, around trade, uh, where the growth is in this region, how do we harness that? And I hope that, you know, the trade tools that uh, I put in place as when I was Secretary of Trade around Australia, New Zealand, CPTPP coming through, uh, DEA, now the, the green economy framework, moving to how we make sure that we bring UK business expertise into that green economy. So there's a really big piece of ongoing work, uh, which we, I suppose, kicked off as when we had the presidency of COP26, which was at a broad brush level, trying to get the whole world all pointing in the same direction. And I think Alok Sharma's uh, leadership was extraordinary in doing that. We saw you know, a complete shift in that commitment. Um, and I think something like 85% of the region's uh, countries making those uh, net zero commitments. Delivering on those is the great challenge. It's not only about money, it's about expertise, it's about shared knowledge. In the UK, we've been driving forward those technologies uh, from offshore wind to now looking at uh, the CCUS challenges and opportunities, uh, grid restructuring, potentially creation of hydrogen supply chains, uh, transforming housing, that huge, huge areas uh, where we need to shift the dial for us to meet our own net zero towns. But how do we also bring that expertise to bear and to draw in international finance to help countries in the region meet their own net zero challenges? So uh, two particular projects that I've got focused on around Vietnam and Indonesia's jet peas, so helping them with an international finance lens to uh, start and move at pace on their uh, clean energy journeys, which are very, you know, practical, difficult, difficult things. And one of the challenges around all of this is, uh, you know, stepping away from coal. And that is that is a big transition to make and requires a lot of investment, requires a lot of reskilling and upskilling of workforces. So there's a huge amount, uh, both of opportunity uh, and under, you know, time pressure to help these, you know, big economies uh, to make change. So that's also a big part of the work. And Thinking about, as I say, a huge amount of my region is water, big oceans, uh, much of which uh, obviously is in the international waterway space, making sure that we are uh, demonstrating and bringing our um, responsible uh, oceans management to bear in keeping the sea lanes free and open, but also working with countries who have their own EEZ responsibilities for their areas of water to look after them, to protect them. Uh, and to understand that 30 by 30 ocean challenge, which was agreed in a treaty just earlier in the year. How how do I, as a you know Indo-Pacific country, make sure that I'm doing my bit responsibly? Uh, and what are uh, what are the tools that I need? So the UK has uh, enormous skills around hydrographic uh, work, around 
maritime domain awareness um, and managing managing those alongside you know the challenges for instance of plastic pollution uh, a big global challenge but actually some of the region's countries are feeling the sharp end of decades of all of us not taking that seriously. So there is there's a whole series of areas from what you'd call day-to-day -day trading right through to uh, tackling the climate shocks, but also dealing with uh, how, we, how we solve some of those challenges. But the, what's so interesting is you see the technology coming through, the creativity uh, in some of our young entrepreneurs to solve some of these challenges. I want to make sure that that UK talent has an opportunity uh, to be part of the region's success. It's very to hear the power of the UK as a maritime nation coming through mm. with your your ambitions as well in the region is, is great to hear and really, really good to hear. How did you get into politics in the first place? Because you're hugely inspiring. You're inspiring me about how do, I, how do I help do a better job for the UK in this part of the world? So what, what got you into politics in the first place? Oh, so my granny would tell you that the answer was righteous anger. I used to get really cross when stuff didn't work. I still do get very cross when stuff doesn't work. Uh, and someone pointed out that instead of just throwing things at my telly when I was cross, I should get involved uh, and see if I couldn't make a difference. So I did. I don't suppose I remember thought I'd actually get elected. Uh, you never do. It's the strangest thing to put yourself forward for election in a democratic mm. process where you are asking people to have faith in you to go and be their voice uh, in your national government. But it's something that I love to do. And no two days are ever the same, which sometimes has its challenges. And at the moment, no two countries are ever the same day to day. I, I am yep. constantly on the plane. But the opportunity to champion you know, my my little patch of, of the United Kingdom, the most northern English constituency, uh, for a voice, you know, to make sure that it's well heard in the UK and then to be out on the international stage. Think about how, you know, I do, and I always go back to, will this be good for Annick? Will this be good for Wooler? You know, my little towns in my constituency, what we do globally needs to make sense to them, just as, as much as we speak in a, you know, big, uh, big picture way. Uh, and... It's an extraordinary honour uh, to have the chance to really drive forward the policy. I'm a very long-term thinker, uh, and I seem to have a, a strange skill to be able to see through the fog to where we're trying to get to and then work backwards to what that route might be. So I'm, I think I'm probably one of the politicians in our uh, in government who has now the extraordinary opportunity to think long-term and to try and set in place uh, these important anchor points that then allow everyone else to crack on in what is a changing environment. We can't get away from the fact that the world uh, is not perhaps as stable or as calm as it was. We've been hit by a global pandemic. Uh, the war in Ukraine has triggered unbelievable energy price hikes, food disruptions for our, you know, some of the poorest countries in the world who are reliant on the wheat and indeed uh, some of the fertilizers coming out of Ukraine. Those disruptions mean that we've all got to be, uh, as you know, leading uh, economies much more robust and much more able to sustain ourselves in a more resilient way and to support those who need our help to be able to do that because their agency is smaller. How, how do you long-term think locally with your constituency but long-term think internationally with your Indo-Pacific hats on as well? I mean, that's how, how, do you, how do you balance that internally? How do you process that? Um, I don't, it's not a matter of balance, it's, it's both. So uh, North Northumberland is home. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of my, you know, it's part of my DNA. That's just everyday life. And when I go and do my shopping, I get home on a Thursday night and I nip into the local supermarket to do my shopping. I always have effectively a two-hour surgery, as everyone has an opinion on what's been going on. It's a really good way to catch up with whether the GP services are working or not. Uh, but it's also 
and I'm fascinated by this. People will say to me, because, you know, we share what I'm doing. I'm, you know, very proud of the work I'm doing for uh, UK PLC out about. And people in Annick uh, or in Berwick have an opinion on when I was in Vietnam. I saw you were in Indonesia. I saw you were in Japan. And what is it about this? And it's extraordinary how that local content feature, because people, of course, are as connected as you or I are. You're sitting in Singapore or I'm here today. Uh, and I'll be in Laos on Monday, and I'll be in Paris on Tuesday. But it's all connected because everybody's relationships with the rest of the world are their own, but they are all interconnected. So they're indivisible in many ways. The challenge is to make sure always to remember that uh, protecting, sustaining, and growing UK interests is the heart of what I am responsible for doing, uh, whilst also being a good international partner. Minister, it's been really brilliant to have you today and I really thank you for your time. There is one last question that we ask everybody on this channel, which is, if I could throw you for a moment, the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's time machine, and with all of the knowledge that you've amassed today and the thinking of the job and the experience that you've got, you could take yourself back to a younger you and give yourself some advice. What would you tell yourself and when would it be? What would it be? Have, have, so as a, as a woman, uh, so I trained as a chartered accountant, so I was, you know, in the city of London in the early 1990s when there weren't that many of us who were women in the finance sector, but a sector that was very open to it. They wanted talent. It was really interesting. And I look back now and I think, gosh, they were very forward thinking. So I think I would say to my younger self, absolutely have confidence uh, in yourself. You are as capable as anybody else. Don't think you can't do something. And I think to every young woman out there, I would say, whatever it is you want to do, don't think you can't, because you can. And if there seems to be a blocker, there are many, many around uh, who will support you. The trick, I think, for young women is to ask. Women are bad at asking. Uh, they think it looks too difficult and they step away. Don't step away. Minister of State in the Pacific, Amarish Valley, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe and why not leave us a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, Google and the other podcast platforms. For more information about the Chamber, please visit our website at www.britcham.org.sg and tune in next time for a brand new episode.